Blessings in the name of Jesus. This is Brother James with True Church, False Church. Today I want to look at Matthew 24. I believe I have about two or three teachings that will come out of Matthew 24. Um, if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you have definitely read, heard, and listened to many teachings from Matthew 24. I believe that the whole Bible, uh, especially um, the prophecies that are given throughout the entirety of scriptures, are so relevant for our day. Uh, there's never been a generation that could say what I just said. The scriptures are coming alive in our day like never before. These are exciting times, to say the least. Um, they can be very uh, challenging. Some would even say frightening. But I think that we need to look at the whole of scripture, especially when it comes to end-time prophecy. And we need to know that we are nearing the times where we can lift up our head and say our redemption draweth nigh and we can rejoice that the day is coming when we will behold our Lord our Savior Jesus Christ and like Thomas we will be able to see his nail pierced hands and and his nail his, his um, side that was definitely wounded for our behalf for the birthing of the church and those days are exciting brothers and sisters that the day that we'll be able to be with the Lord for eternity and that's what we must be looking to we must not let fear grip us for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love power and a sound mind so we need to keep that sound mind we need to let the word of God keep us sound. We need to let the word of God keep us grounded and rooted. And we need to use the word of God to reach the lost because our time, our window of opportunity to reach the lost, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our, our relatives who are not born again believers, we have a very limited time and that's what uh, we need to let the scriptures, the prophecies uh, tell us. They, we need to let them speak to us. Not only is the time of all these things coming, not only are so many of the scriptures being fulfilled, but we need to see it has a window of opportunity that is narrowing. We don't have a long period of time to be tr wasting to, to reach the lost. Um, we need to realize that with this new coronavirus that has sprung up on top of that, the flu, the flu has killed, I think, 30,000 from January to today, which is well, I'm in, we're in the month of March 2020. Um, over 30,000 people died of the flu alone. And now the coronavirus, which has spread across the world and has hit our country, United States. Um, we need to realize that this is just one more epidemic. And there's many to follow. Uh, but I wanted to, I felt strongly led to dig into Matthew 24. I shared it with my wife and some others this past weekend. And I felt strongly compelled to do a recording, not only on this one uh, chapter, uh, but do multiple recordings on this chapter, as well as looking at uh, Revelations 13 and Daniel's chapter 7 and 8. Um, and just let the Lord speak to us. But I really want to point out the or emphasize the need to um, share the gospel with as many as possible. And with those that are backslidden, those that are lukewarm, those that are playing games. Maybe you, uh, one of you is listening to this and you know that you are one of those. You are making excuses for your sin and your rebellion. And I want to take this time to call you to a place of repentance and, and commitment, 100% total commitment to Jesus Christ and to his gospel and to his word. And that you would realize that you cannot play games with God 
And you cannot, whatever you sow, that shall you reap, we're told in the book of Galatians by the Apostle Paul. But let's get into this, Matthew 24, starting in verse 1. But before we start, let us pray. Father, in the wonderful and precious and matchless name of your Holy Son, Jesus, we come before you. We commit ourselves to you this moment, Lord. We commit the entirety of our being, our spirit, our soul, our body to you, Father. And we ask that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and that, Father, you would sanctify us in thy word, and thy word is truth, Father. And that you would speak to us, Lord. You would open up our eyes, and the entrance of thy word would bring light and revelation, Father. And, Lord, that we would be able to discern the times that we're living in, Father. And, Father, that we would be um, excited. We would be excited about the things that we're seeing in your word and the things that we're seeing unfolding before us out in our lives, Lord, in the world. And, Father, that it wouldn't uh, put anything in us other than a joy and an excitement, um, that our redemption draws nigh, but also to share your son, Jesus Christ, that he may receive for his sufferings, O God. So we thank you, Father, Holy Spirit, may you um, be our teacher. Father, send forth your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, that he may teach us, that he may show us great and mighty things that we know not, Father. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Matthew 24, uh, verse 1 opens up after Jesus, in chapter 23, after Jesus pronouncing woes upon the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, Pretty much everyone, he just let him have it. And uh, he walks out of the temple and he lets out a cry, I guess you could say. In verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus went out, of the, went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came unto him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another." And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. And then shall the end come, says the Lord. I want to focus on Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. 
Matthew 24 verses 1 through 14. And I would encourage every single one of you that is listening to this to not believe everything I say, but verify everything I say. Go through and study this, read this, preferably on your knees, crying out to the Lord that he be your teacher, that he show you great and mighty things out of this portion of scripture that we are going to unpack today. And I pray that you would seek the Lord and you would allow him to show you his word in light of reality of what we're living and where we're living and how things are going to unfold. Because if I rightly unpack this, these 14 verses, we're going to get three questions from verse 3 that the apostles asked Jesus. And we're also going to get 10 signs, 10 signs that point us to the end or, or, or 10 signs that put forth the landscape of the end times. And I believe that um, every single one of these signs have a starting point and they have a, an end point, or we can say a time of, of, of heating up and reaching its boiling point. All these signs are climactic, meaning they start and they rise to their climax. They hit their climax point. And I believe that we are reaching that climax point. I believe that we are definitely feeling the boiling, the water starting to boil. We're starting to see the world starting to boil. But the climactic point is it's boiling over point. It's the time of Sirius where every single one of these signs reaches its boiling point. So if you can imagine all these signs happening, unfolding, un, they're, they're, they're not just unfolding, but they all these signs are present, but they're all reaching their boiling point at the same time. That is what it awaits the very last days. And I would say we're definitely in it and we're definitely at a boiling point, but I don't think everything has reached its climax. I don't think everything is at its complete boiling point. I don't think it's reached its top temperature, but I would say that we are coming to that point very quickly. So let's look at verse three. Verse two, obviously we know that verse two was fulfilled in 70 AD. There was not one stone left upon another when the Romans whom uh, destroyed it. But I would say while the Romans destroyed it, I would say it was destroyed at the hands of the neighbors of Israel that were hired hands by the Romans. So the Romans commanded for Jerusalem to be ransacked starting in 68 AD. But we have to look at the people that were used by the Romans um, many of them probably were Roman citizens, even as Brother Paul the Apostle was a Roman citizen, but he was a Jew. Um, many of these people were, we could say, were probably Arabs. They were the neighbors. They were the neighbors that were used by the Romans to destroy Jerusalem and to destroy the temple. And that's something that we'll probably get into later on, because when you go back to the prophecies of Balaam with Balak back in Numbers, God has already been prophesying and God has already been giving us small pictures of these, these confederate nations that have always since Jerusalem or since Israel has been in the land to the present day. These nations have always hated the Jews and have always looked at Jerusalem as their prize. And in 70 AD, 
we have a fulfillment of this where those nations were used by the Roman Empire to destroy and to scatter the Jews and to destroy the temple. And after almost 2,000 years, in 1948, the Jews go back to their homeland. But guess what? They go back to their homeland with the same enemies surrounding them to this very day. And they too, in this situation too, will reach its climactic point. This, they, they too, these nations that surround Israel, will reach their climax of boiling over. It's amazing. It's amazing what we're seeing in our day. So verse 2 has been fulfilled and we can definitely look at many prophetic scriptures and we can definitely say that we could see another uh, surrounding of Jerusalem and, and the Jews coming under attack again, but far greater than we've ever seen before. Far greater than we've ever seen before. And another scattering of the Jews again. But in verse 3, after Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple, the disciples, and, and the gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 13, verse 3, which is Mark's version of this, um, I would say possibly Peter's version. Many people have taught that uh, Mark's gospel is Peter's account of the gospel. But nonetheless, in Mark's gospel, chapter 13, verse 3, we are told that it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew that actually came to Jesus and asked him these questions. So the first question they ask is, tell us when shall these things be? What things? The time of the destruction of the temple. Second question, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And the third question, the end of the world. We can also say the end of the age. When will the age as we know it, the world as we know it, come to an end? Those are the three questions that are asked. And I believe that, that Matthew takes chapter 24 and chapter 25 to unpack the answers, Jesus' answer, to those three questions. But I also want to say that Jesus doesn't answer them in the same order that they were asked. I think that it's clear from verse 6 when he says, but the end is not yet. And in verse 14 where he says, then shall the end come. I believe that Jesus answers the last question first. And he answers the last question by giving us 10 signs of the time so that we would be able to know the season of the coming of the end. And what I also find interesting about this is that everyone, non-believers, atheists, Jews, Christians, Muslims, everyone has a sense in the depths of their being that this world, this age as we know it, has an end it has a dod a date of death or a doe a date of end if you will just like we all have a date of birth and a a, a a date of death we don't know our date of death but we all have this sense every human being has and will continue to have this sense that everything is going to come to an end and it is but it's not going to come to an end as many think or as many want to paint it. And as Christians, we shouldn't create or paint a picture of the end that contradicts the very words of God because he's already given us a picture of the end. And our job is to piece that picture together with the prophecies that have been given to us through the prophets 
and through the, uh, the words of Jesus and his apostles who are also our prophets. Amen? And that's the picture we should paint for other Christians and for the lost world and for, for Muslims and for Jews. We should be the ones to paint this clear picture for them. Amen? In verse 4, the first response that Jesus gives, he says, Take heed that no man deceive you. And I believe that it is clear from the very time that Jesus left the earth, and we get it from in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, the first thing that is loosed upon the church and upon the earth is deception. Is deception. False prophets and false Christ characterize not only the end times, but have been a reality of the church age. As long as the church has been birthed, from the very moment the church was birthed, Satan birthed a false church. And we see that very clearly in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. The, the church in Ephesus, they were being applauded by Christ for being able to recognize false apostles. The epistles of the apostles were written to expose false teachings and false teachers. That false church system that started to be developed alongside the true church. The tares. Immediately. Deception. Deception was strong immediately from the time of, of the apostles. In our time, deception is so thick. I have said and I'll continue to say there's nothing easier in our day than to be deceived. There is nothing easier in our day than to be deceived. Deception will characterize the end times. Deception will be one of the signs of the end. Deception is the first sign. And again, while this has already been present, it's going to reach its climax. It's going to reach its boiling point where it's boiling over. Okay, so that's the first sign. Verse 5, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Also, I want to point out the word many as we read through these 14 verses. I want to point out the word many because the word many is used at least six times and it's always used in the negative. It's always used as a negative. Many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. There we have the word many used twice. So it's many that are going to come in the name of Jesus and saying they're Christ. And there's going to be many that are going to be deceived. So one of the clear signs or one of the things that Jesus points out to us that's going to characterize the deception is many are going to say they're Christ. I would also say that many are going to say they are of Christ. And we see in Paul's one of Paul's letters, he said that there was false apostles. There was false Christ. People are rising up and they're creating this confusion I would say that the Muslims have a false Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a false Christ. The Mormons have a false Christ. False Christianity in the West, they present and they give a false Christ. There are many false Christ. There have been. And they're all here to condition those that will not surrender their lives fully to Christ, the true Christ. They're conditioning them to receive the Antichrist. He is the boiling point. He is the climax of this deception. The false Christ. 
All false teachings to some degree and to some level are pointing everyone off the narrow path and off the true Christ and the true gospel and the true church. And they're pointing to the, the broad path and to the false Christs and to the false gospels and to the false salvations. And they're all going to point and reach to that climax. False Christ, many and many will be deceived. My beloved listeners, do not be deceived. It's the many that are deceived. It's the many that are deceived. It's the few that are not deceived. And it's the many that will not go through the narrow path for its difficulty. And they will go with the crowd in the Broadway for its lack of difficulty and for its lackadaisical approach to all things. I just want to interject here and say that there was a time when I first came to the Lord and I was on fire and I got full of the Holy Ghost and I believe in the gifts of the Spirit and I was being used by God in the gifts of the Spirit and I ended up getting caught up in a group that was into that charismatic mania stuff and it was just starting off and um, I remember sitting in, in, a, in a teaching and this lady was teaching and she was obviously already being confronted about um, her belief of this charismatic mania that she was in. And she said something that stuck to me. I'll never forget. And she said it. And before she said it, she, she clearly said, I don't have time to get into it. So I'm not going to take anyone's comments or anything, but I just want to make this statement. And she said this, and I quote, she said, I don't believe that God who loves me will allow me to be deceived. He loves me too much to let me be deceived. Therefore, I don't think I'm deceived in this charismatic groups that I'm with. And I immediately said within myself, you already are deceived. You already are deceived. Many people are caught up in false Christianity, regardless if it be the charismatic mania. The extreme of that is a different spirit. It's a dead spirit. There's no gifts. There's no power. It's a dead spirit. still a false spirit. Satan will hook you either to the far left or to the far right. Massive deception has gripped the West. Massive deception has gripped the West. There are those that believe in the gifts, but they don't practice them. They don't let the Spirit of God move in their midst. They don't, they're not experienced. They'll say, I believe in the gifts because the Bible teaches it, but they've never experienced any of the works of the spirit in their life. My brothers and sisters, the Lord will not leave you ill-equipped. You will at least have the least of the gifts. And that's at least the gift that will edify yourself in your time of prayer. And that's praying in tongues. But no, that's not, people don't want to get into true Christianity. It's too costly. And that's a massive deception that we're already seeing in our day. Verse 6, the second sign. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For the United States of America, we've been at war for 18 years in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, or Iraq, and then Afghanistan. We've been in Afghanistan for 17, 18 years. We've been at war for the past 19, 20 years, for sure. George Bush, Barack Obama, and now Donald Trump finishing up his fourth year. We've been at war through three presidents already. And some people have just become accustomed to war. 
And we're hearing of war, rumors of war. Right now, as I speak, the gas prices have dropped because there's a, 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 an oil war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. So we have different types of wars today. A while, a few, I think it was in 2017, somewhere in there, um, China attacked our stock market and we attacked their stock. We're, we have wars going on and rumors of wars all the time. There's this unsettledness that has taken place now between Turkey and Syria and Iran. There's rumors of wars there. There's rumors of wars everywhere. But what about the wars in our own countries? The rebellions that are rising up within our own countries. The Yellow Jackets, not what was it, 2018, 2019, the Yellow Jackets rose up again in France against their own country, uh, against their own leadership. Those are also prophesied here in this passage. Verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I believe that that's the next sign is nations against nations and kingdom against kingdom. That's the third sign. And those are those internal uh, uh, disruptions that we see going on with the yellow jackets in France or the yellow coats. I can't remember what they were called exactly, but we see that happening here in the United States. The conservative against the, the liberals and the Republicans against the Democrats. And you see that division in our own country. That is nation rising up against nation. Kingdom against kingdom, internal as well as external. Yemen, the, the war that's been going on there in Yemen and the proxies that are going on with nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, they're proxy fighters. We have that fulfilled. But again, remember, this is going to hit its, its, its climax. It's going to boil over. It's going to boil over at the same time when deception is boiling over. At the same time when wars are boiling over. Nations against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms are going to boil over as well. The fourth sign, famines. The fifth sign, pestilence. The sixth sign, earthquakes in diverse places. Those six signs, Jesus tells us in verse 8, are just the beginning of sorrows. They're the beginning of sorrows. They're the beginning of sorrows. But those sorrows, those birth pains, are going to reach their climax. They're going to boil over. They're going to burst. They're going to burst. You know, today, um, we're dealing with the coronavirus and... I got up early and I'm, so I'm going to beat the, the crowds going to the grocery store so I can buy groceries for my family for the week. Just the groceries that we need for the week. I went to Walmart and the shelves were blown. The, the shelves that you see usually are never blown. They're always full like your, your, your tuna aisle. The tuna was blown. Um, all the meats, the lunch meats were pretty much blown. There was no milk. Obviously, the toilet paper, paper towels, blown. Um, your soups, blown. Your spaghettis, gone. You can see from just this little coronavirus, this little pestilent that hasn't hit its climax and, and, and the other situations haven't hit their climax, but with just this little, this little disruption, people panicked 
And it wasn't because of the coronavirus. It was the panicking of the people that led to empty shelves, not just at Walmart, but my neighbor said at Target, she showed up an hour after it had been open, blown. So you can see that how quick we can end up in a famine, even in the United States, the bread, the bread pantry of the world could end up in a famine because of a pestilence. If a pestilence, if, if a pestilence was to hit its boiling point, the famine would hit its boiling point. If a massive world war was to hit its boiling point, famines and pestilence would automatically hit their boiling point immediately. So you see how one thing hitting its boiling point could cause a trickle effect where all these other six signs will hit their boiling point like never before. Like never before. So the beginning of sorrows, we have six signs and those six signs are going to hit their boiling point. All those six signs are present and they're alive amongst us today, but they're going to hit our, their boiling point. They're going to hit their boiling point. Verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. The seventh sign, the seventh sign is followers of Jesus will be afflicted, killed and hated of all nations. Now I want to take some time to talk about verse nine. But before I talk about verse nine, I want to make it clear that there's not a verse eight and a half. Or on verse eight and a quarter and three quarters. And I say that because many of your pre-tribulational teachers say that the rapture happens between verse eight and nine. Because they obviously know that the beginning of sorrows have been present, are still present with us, and they know that they're going to obviously intensify. But Jesus didn't say that, beloved. Jesus didn't tell us, and I believe that Jesus and God, the Father, are loving. And if there was a hope to escape all these horrible things that are going to hit their climactic points, I believe that God would have told us so. Just as Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back for you. Jesus has promised to come back for us. But in that verse in John 14, he didn't tell us it would be before a rapture or before a tribulation. He didn't give us a placement at that point. So we can't use that and say that's pre-trib. That would be dishonest. And that would be feeding the line of deception. There is no rapture before a tribulation nowhere jesus in matthew 24 mark 13 luke 21 jesus never gave us that hope that there would be a rapture before a tribulation period so we must delete it from our minds because it's not in scripture it's not in scripture and i believe that that false teaching is gonna cause many to fall away and many to follow the false Christ, the Antichrist. Verse 9, Then shall ye, they deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now this is very important. This verse is very important because this has not been fulfilled 100%. This has not been fulfilled 
but it is being fulfilled right before our eyes. And it won't be long till this is fulfilled 100% in all the world. Right now, there is uh, an individual um, who I watched his testimony. He was being persecuted in the country he was living in, which is in the region of Europe. And they were going to take his child away from him. And they were persecuting him. And he fled to the United States. And the United States welcomed him in. So as long as we have times where people can are fleeing persecution from one country and the United States, the government welcomes them, or Great Britain or Canada welcomes them, then we can say that there, this portion of scripture has not yet been fulfilled. But we're heading down that path. We're heading down the path where all nations, all nations will hate Christians. It will reach its boiling point. And there will be no safe place to go. But I want to also point out that there will, that's, that's, that won't be a horrific time, brothers and sisters. That will be a good thing. Let me tell you why it will be a good thing. Because we Christians will realize, I, or let me say it to you this way, our backs will be put up against the wall to where we will, it will hit us like never before. We are here for one reason, only one reason, and that is to reach the loss. And I'm hated by everyone, including my family members. I've lost my job. I've lost my house. I have no safe place to go. So I'll stand on every corner and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ until I die or until Jesus comes back. So that that appears to look bad or evil will turn out to the good for many. For many. So we need to see that um, that's what the early church did. They, when you read the book of Acts, they lost their they, they lost their jobs, they lost their homes, and they were chased out of their country, their country. And what did they do? They fled into the regions around them, into Samaria, and they started to go and spread the gospel. And they were persecuted from place to place. And so shall we be persecuted from place to place. But the harvest, the souls that will be reached will be amazing. Now, I'm not saying that there's going to be a huge revival. I'm not saying that there's going to be countless. I'm not saying that. But there will be souls lost. I mean, reached. There will be souls reached. And if you've ever led anybody to Christ, it's the most amazing feeling. It's such a wonderful feeling to reach someone and to see somebody give their life to Christ and be filled with the Spirit of God. It's an amazing thing. So verse 9 hasn't been fulfilled completely. There are still many safe places in the West, Australia and, and, and places like that, where Christians, people groups may hate Christians, but there's not that hatred for Christianity in the West like there is in the East to where it's illegal. It's illegal to be Christians, like in Saudi Arabia and China and in Laos and other places to where Christianity is, for the most part, it is hated. And it is severely persecuted. That's coming to the West. It's pretty much already in Great Britain. It's already pretty much in Canada. And it's pretty much in America. But it's going to become law. It will become law. So the, the seventh sign is Christians. And I just want to point that out. Is that uh, verse 9 makes it clear. 
Jesus points to his apostles who are his followers and he says, you will be afflicted, you will be killed, you'll be hated for my name's sake in all nations. It's not Jews that are going to be hated for the name of Jesus. It's going to be Christians. So there can't be no rapture before this point. It's obvious. Verse 10. And then shall many, again, there's that word many, then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. So the eighth sign is many are being offended. Many will betray and hate one another. There's going to be such hatred and such betrayal, especially against Christians. Christians falling away for various reasons. I believe two main reasons that many Christians are going to fall away in the future during this time when things are starting to boil over. Many Christians are going to fall away from the faith and many Christians are going to be falling away from the faith because they believed in a pre-trib lie and they believed in the once saved, always saved lie. And even in this discourse, just real quick, but even in this discourse, Jesus says in verse 13, but he that shall endure to the end. What is Jesus saying? He that endures through all these signs and through all these horrible things, he will be saved. So much for once saved, always saved. So much for once saved, always saved. There are people that have taught and are still teaching that even if you commit suicide, you will be saved. How many people are going to take their own lives during this time? Because they've been deceived that they could do such a horrific thing, which is still murder. And John the Apostle said, without fear, he, a murderer, has no eternal life abiding in him. Suicide is self-murder. And it would be a manifestation that there is not eternal life abiding in you if you were to do such a thing. It's the many who are offended. It's the many who are offended. It's the many who will betray. It's the many who end up with hatred in their hearts. Not the few, beloved. It's the few that take the kingdom of Jesus and go and spread it and proclaim it. It's the few that are persecuted. It's the few that are hated. It's the few that are betrayed. Are you part of the few? Verse 11, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So verse 10 is the eighth sign. Many offended, many will be betrayal. So the eighth sign is offense, betrayal, and hatred. That word offended it, it, it means to stumble and to fall. And I think it's connected with uh, false teaching and, and betrayal. Someone who has felt that they've been betrayed, they get offended. Or the attacks of being uh, uh, afflicted and, and their loved ones being killed and being hated leads to their offense, leads to their stumble, leads to their fall. That's that word offense. I would look. I would highly encourage you to look it up in the Greek and do a, a, a study on that in the Greek. It's pretty amazing. The ninth sign comes from verse 11. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Again, it's many that are being deceived. Many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. I want to just quickly say and, and encourage and admonish my brothers. I can't tell you how many brothers that I've worked with in the past 
that they fail to disciple their wives and their children. They failed. How many people crowd buildings Sunday after Sunday, depending upon the man that stands behind a pulpit to disciple them and to disciple their wives, and they depend upon Sunday school to disciple their children. Can I ask every single one of you to go do a historical study? Not a deep one, just the past 50 years. And I'm telling you that history has shows us that that has not worked. The pulpit has failed America. The pulpit has failed Christianity. And it has not made disciples. Sunday school has failed Christianity in the West. We have seen a massive decline because of that system. The Sunday system has failed. And let me tell you why it has failed, brothers and sisters, because it is not biblical. It is not ordained by God. It has been successful in raising money. It has been successful in carnal worldly means, building buildings and building salaries. But it has failed to make disciples that love Jesus and that are committed to Jesus Christ 100%. It has failed. And brothers, I'm calling you to be godly men of your house and to disciple your wives and to disciple your children and to proclaim to them a gospel of martyrdom, meaning that you will endure great tribulation and it is a manifest token of you being counted worthy to enter the kingdom of God. Make disciples of your families, men, Rise up and be men of God. Be men of God and disciple your wives and disciple your children. Verse 12, the tenth sign. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There's the many again. It's the many that the false prophets deceive. It's the many that are deceived. It's the many that their hearts wax cold. They lose their passion. They lose their fire for Jesus Christ and for his gospel and for his kingdom. It's the many that lose their passion and grow cold. It's the many that turn and begin to afflict the other Christians that they used to sit with and pray with and, and, and fellowship with and break bread with. It's the many that fall away. It's the many that are deceived. It's the many that are deceived. And it's going to be many households that are going to be destroyed because men fail to be disciples of Jesus and fail to disciple their wives and disciple their children. I can't tell you how many men I've met that their homes were being ran by Jezebel, their wives. They were a bunch, there's a bunch of Ahabs in our day that are married to Jezebels. And I please, I, I don't say that to be rude or, or harsh. It's the truth. I say it because it's the truth and somebody needs to start saying it. And if you can recognize that you, sir, have played the Ahab or you, ma'am, have played the Jezebel. And there's many reasons for that. There's a, there, so many men have, have failed to raise their men. Therefore, we have men that, that don't know how to be godly men. And these women have to take the front seat. They have to take over because their husbands are weak. They're spineless. But there is hope. And there's hope in Jesus. 
Men, come and surrender yourselves completely to God and he will fill you with the fullness of himself according to what the word tells us in Ephesians 2. He'll fill you with his spirit. You're not to be carnal men that, 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 that abuse your wives and your children, but to be godly men that lay your life down for them. You pray, you fast for them. You get the word and you study the word and you feed them. You wash your wives in the word of truth. You wash your children in the word of truth. You build them up in the word of truth. And you do it in love and in compassion. But you do it with strength and power that comes from God. And they sense that you will lead them and you'll guide them on the path of righteousness that leads to eternal life. And they gladly follow you as you follow Christ. This is what God is calling us men to. Not to passivity. Not to worldliness and ungodliness in the name of Christianity. It's time that we turn away from this worldly Christianity that has been the, the norm in Western Christianity. We need to turn from it. It is iniquity. And it is a stench in the nostrils of the Almighty. Beloved, here are the ten signs that God, Jesus gives us. And then verse 13, he says, But he that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. We are called to a ministry of endurance. We are called to a ministry of endurance. We have to endure these things. We must endure these things. We cannot go through this life thinking that we cannot endure these things and still be saved. We cannot compromise. We cannot be chameleons for the sake of avoiding these pressures and think that we're going to be saved. We need to get saved so that we can receive the power of God, so that we can endure these things by the power of God, by the strength of God, so that we can endure these things. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. As I said earlier, these signs are going to reach their climactic point, and as they do, we're going to be getting thrusted out, and we're going to do one thing and only one thing, and that's going to be preach the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of self. Listen, when you go to a building on Sunday, when you drive up and you see a sign promoting that person's ministry or that person's building, that is not the gospel of kingdom, of the kingdom. That's the gospel of self. And that characterizes the gospel of the West. And that's why the gospel or the church in the West is apostate. When you see bumper stickers promoting organizations and institutions that call themselves churches, that's the gospel of self, beloved, not the gospel of the kingdom. It's time you open up your eyes. Maybe you have been deceived already. And it's time to come to Christ and let him rip your eyes open to the truth of your own heart and your own position and the truth of where you need to go and what you're going to have to do to get there. Verse 14 ends by Jesus saying, and then shall the end come. All these things will grow to their climax and the church will be here and will live through him and will be purified and will be prepared to be able to wear their white robe in the future having gone through all these things, having endured all these things 
in the strength and in the power and in the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not in self, but by the Spirit. My beloved brothers and sisters, I pray that you take this message to heart and that you get on your knees and you read through these 14 verses and you cry out to God for him to fill you with his Holy Spirit that you may endure unto the end. Thank you. Godspeed.